Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to part two of our global travel series for SAP Conquer Conversations podcast. Once again, I'm joined by the lovely Tony McGetrick from BCD um, and also Darren McGarvey from SAP Conquer. Um, Tony, can you give a little bit um, of information about yourself, your role and experience, please? Thank you, Alistair. Yes, um, I'm Tony McGetrick. I'm a Director and VP of Sales and Marketing for BCD Travel. I've been in the company now for around 14 years and have been in the industry, both in business travel and the leisure industry for over 35 years. Uh, back in the day, I started my career with Laker Air Travel, uh, famous for his SkyTrain, probably the instigator of low cost air travel. Um, and today my responsibilities are fundamentally winning new business, retaining what we have, and with my marketing hat, communicating with our existing client base across BCD. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Tony, for joining us. Um, Daryl, over to you. Thanks, Alistair, and hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Daryl McGarvey. I'm Director for Travel at, uh, at SAP Concur, part of the UK Business Development Team. I've been with Concur for just coming up to four years now. I don't know where the time's gone, but uh, it's, 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 been, uh, it's been lots of fun. Uh, my background, a bit like Tony, is, is in travel. So I spent 15 years before joining Concur in the TMC space. And my role at, uh, at Concur is, is firstly to support some of our, our, our global and, and, and larger TMCs in their new business activity, uh, supporting them through their sales process. Uh, but also uh, representing SAP Concur out in the travel industry. So organizations like the ITM, Business Travel Association, and, and, and lovely events like this, getting the chance to talk about Concur to, uh, to our, our joint customers. Um, just to uh, talk about another article that I, I saw yesterday, and, and this goes back to, um, the, uh, Tony, what you were seeing, uh, what your customers were asking you. But it was an article yesterday in, in BTN Europe uh, where the Business Travel Association is calling for a change on TMC pricing models. Um, not sure if you've seen that yet. And I, I, I thought um, we had the, uh, in one of the previous SAP Concur Conversations podcast, we had Julie Oliver um, on, the, on, the, on the panel as well, talking about there's a potential change in pricing models. And now that seems to have moved on a bit. Um, could you give us your, your viewpoint on that, Tony, and how you think that moving forward? Yes, I think it's fair to say that our industry has always been looking at uh, new pricing models. Um, we kind of fell into the transaction fee pricing model, um, certainly the last decade, uh, which has become very popular with buyers because it's transparent in the sense that they know what they're going to pay for each transaction. And what buyers particularly like is that it can be charged at point of sale. And many buyers that I talk to say, I haven't got a central budget to pay for your costs. So if you can charge it at point of sale, and we do this using um, you know, SAP Concur's support when they expense items through, the, through their systems, it's, it's an easy transaction process. Now, um, for us in this current environment, it's, it's not good news at all because if we don't have any transactions, and I mentioned earlier, we're trying to process half a billion dollars of refunds, uh, which are not transactions, we're giving money back. Um, transaction fees are not good for us. So ideally, we'd like some form of recovery where we can give some sort of guarantee that we can get some money back from the clients. 
And that tends to be in the areas of either a management fee where we're pretty much guaranteed that we're going to get a proportion of cost paid for by the client. And we have some lovely clients who are very happy to do that. They see it as a very transparent model because they know exactly what the costs are for us. Uh, and we've uh, regularly in dialogue with them to agree how much resource we should give them to look after whatever um, activity we need to um, pay for. Um, so that's a popular system for us. It's also been to talk about subscription fees and whether you pay a subscription for every trip. That's a little bit more complicated. It wouldn't necessarily work for the large customers, but some of the smaller, mid-sized customers uh, might be interested in that kind of process. I think the industry is trying to work through that at the moment to ascertain whether this can genuinely work um, and become something that is a third option. Um, I had a, a recent conversation with a client recently who was happy to be charged a percentage of um, the costs on every single ticket price. So in this particular case, they said, well, just charge us three and a half percent um, on the actual value of the ticket price and we're happy with that, which is great for low value transactions because it might mean for um, rail tickets and, and transactions that have low value, it's a small cost, but for the higher value transactions, there's obviously a higher cost, but overall the client uh, knows where they are and it's a very simple process. That would be fine, but fundamentally, um, we struggle in these environments when suddenly the button gets switched off and the transactions just stop in a transaction fee environment. That's pretty much disastrous for our business. So that's why we're looking at this. Uh, I'm not sure that's a, um, a particularly strong answer in the sense that I've got a solution for you, but uh, we, we're hope, hoping to find better solutions for clients moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's never going to be a quick fix, and I think um, well, you can tell me, uh, but this is, I'm sure, it's a it's a long term play to try and find a different model. It's as simple as that. Um, Dar, have you got any views on this as well? Yeah, it will come as no surprise to anybody who knows me. I will always come out <laughs> in support of the TMCs in this area. Um, I, I think it takes, unfortunately, <laughs> it takes, unfortunately, a volcano crisis, a nine eleven, or in this case, a pandemic for the corporates to really see the value of their TMC. And even, even for an online booking that traditionally might have been touchless, it might just have gone through the system. Uh, you know, now all of a sudden there's five, 10, 15 calls being made to the TMC about that booking. What are, you know, what are the rule changes? What, what are the latest restrictions? You know, what might I have to do? And so you know, if corporates have to recognize it, if they want the advice and the guidance and the expertise of their trusted partner, the TMC, there has to be a way of paying for the for the agents who in the short term may not be making any bookings, but is still providing a, a massively valuable service to those corporates. So absolutely be that management fee or a subscription fee, as, as, as Tony mentioned. There has to be a way, even if it's a medium term, it may not be a, a, lifelong, a lifelong change, but it has to be certainly initially a way of getting TMCs through the next six to nine months until travel starts to pick up again to make sure that service is there to be provided to the corporates. Daryl makes a really good point. The, the amount of work that we have to do. I mean, my office, uh, outside my office is an operational team who um, we have had some staff return now to deal with some uh, actual transactions. But I was listening to a call uh, only yesterday 
and they were on a call for two and a half hours giving advice to travellers on what they should do, how they should travel, given all the COVID regulations that are in place. That did not result in a transaction. It was just a call initially that will ultimately result in a transaction in the future. But we don't factor in necessarily the two hours of time that was spent on that call. And that's quite commonplace. And we're certainly going to find um, in the next few months and maybe well into 2021, that there will be a lot more telephone traffic and a lot more people phoning up asking for help and being pushed to various areas where they can get the right information guidance um, that is up to date and is relevant. So, but we don't get charged for that, or sorry, we don't charge for that. Um, we only charge when the actual transaction takes place. So it's, uh, it's often an area that gets forgotten that, that the true value of any travel management company is all of that advice and guidance that is given before they actually get the ticket or hope. Yeah, no, some, some really good points. Thank you both. Um, I want to um, move things on a bit. I know we've spoken a lot about um, air travel and the impact uh, that the current situation has had on that. But I wanted to first, I mean, Daryl, come to you first, um, see what's happening with rail and rail travel. Uh, we know in central London it's decreased massively, but have you seen any new trends um, coming around um, in across Europe or in the UK? Uh, thanks, Alistair. And, and, and yes, I think, I think rail was always going to be the first area that picked up. You know, you, you, you can just, you know, book your ticket, have your seat reservation and get on a train without having to go through security and airports and all of those, all of those sorts of things. Subjects, of course, to a little bit of reconfiguration. Anybody who stood on the concourse at Euston at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon knows that's not a socially distant and safe environment. There certainly have to be some thought into, as that picks up more, how those stations are managed. But but generally speaking, rail, we, we, we've seen that it has been the first area to pick up, not just in the UK, as you, as you say, across across Europe as well. But even then, there, there are some changes. So the, the, the people that, perhaps again, the TMCs were always after, those people who got on the train with their credit card and, and booked a ticket, you just can't do that anymore. You have to book in advance. You have to have a seat reservation. Otherwise, you can't get on the train. Uh, and many of, the, many of the train operating companies are having 20 seats per carriage fixed. And obviously, with, you know, with, with safe, distance, safe distance among them, masks, obviously, mandatory. So it's a slightly different experience. But, but at the same time, you know, the, 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 the talks have been taken into government ownership. That's been extended for, for, for the foreseeable to make sure they can continue to operate regardless of profit or loss and provide a service for those customers who do need to get out and about and start to make some start to make some trips yeah brilliant thanks a lot daryl um tony have you got a viewpoint on the on rail travel have you seen much um impact or increase not really actually uh i don't know if anyone's been on a train in the uk recently but they're empty uh pretty much um and uh, that there, there has been some recovery it's true to say, but it's definitely not been earth shattering. Uh, what we have found in different markets, however, in China, um, there's been an increase in domestic travel and certainly in certain European locations where train travel is commonplace, that has picked up a little. Um, what we have seen is a, a, a significant increase in car rental because companies have said, well, if you want to still ensure that you're social distancing, the safest way of doing that 
is to hire a car and drive yourself to a certain destination. That in itself brings other pressures because I don't think anybody fancies driving from London to Glasgow, particularly. Um, you might do a Manchester trip um, and within Central Europe, uh, there are journeys, the roads are, are pretty good. So you, you might make certain trips by a car. We have got some feedback from some of the car rental companies that their business has increased quite dramatically uh, more recently. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. I wouldn't necessarily say that rail has picked up necessarily. Um, there is still this fear factor that if I'm going by public transport, I may um, suffer from uh, uh, more chance of getting an infection. So I'd rather just and put up with the journey myself and be safe. I, I think perhaps though, in terms of a longer term modal shift, you, you look at the Air France uh, bailout by the French government that was conditional upon them stopping flying domestic routes that were less than two and a half hours. So I think as the, you know, there has definitely been government-based uh, incentives to, to, to shift the, those, some of those journeys from the sky onto, onto the rail longer term. And I think, I think that can only be a good thing. You know, sustainability is something that is still front of mind. And I think you know, as people, even though they're making fewer trips, they want to make those trips count in terms of the, the sustainability factor. So you know, I, I do think certainly a shift to rail will be, will be part of that. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, and actually, let's let's stick with that topic. I was I was going to mention that a bit later, but it seems a good segue now to go into sustainability in in more detail. Um, and I know sustainable. I mean, at the business travel show back in February, which is, seems like a lifetime ago now, um, that was a big topic uh, that was being spoken about by many different suppliers, be it a TMC or or a company like SAP Concur, but. Are conversations still happening around that? Is that still a, something that companies are, find really important, that they should be not necessarily traveling more sustainable, but looking into that factor? I mean, I know, Daryl, come to you first. We've, we've, we've spoken a lot about sustainable hotels and that a lot of them aren't, some are, I know. But any, any views on that, Daryl? Yeah, I think, isn't it funny, you know, as, you know, whatever the downsides of the, of the, of the pandemic have been, all of a sudden we've seen clear water in the canals in Venice and dolphins swimming, all, all kinds of other things. Air quality has been noticeably better. People, you know, there, there have been visible reminders of the impact of of, of carbon and, and, and travel uh, more generally. So I think I think people, are, you know, it's still front of mind. And actually, it, it's it's you know the, the, the my favourite term that you, you mentioned the business travel show. I was, I was on a panel, and it might have been mentioned at ITM as well. My favourite word of the year is screenager. So the the, the, the the generation who'd grown up on their you know on, on their phones checking their apps you know comparing things sustainability is important to them and it's important that it's not just token sustainability so for example carbon offsetting is fine but does it actually make the trip itself or the or the, or the hotel room itself more sustainable perhaps it doesn't so you know, a company that offsets it carbon might still have plastic wrapped sugar cubes or plastic wrapped cups and saucers in my case are one of my favorite anecdotes. So I think they, that what they're looking for is proven, you know, authentic sustainability, not just some sort of a token to, 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 to suggest that something has been offset. So yes, it, it's, it's still there. Yes, it's still front of mind. And as I say, you know, the, the, almost the fewer trips you make, you want them to really count. So I think people are going out of the way. If they're only going to make one trip you know, every couple of months rather than once a week to make sure it's as sustainable as possible. Yeah. Um, Tony, um, over, over, over to you now. I mean, was this something that before this whole pandemic started, what, were you seeing more, more of your customers asking about more sustainable travel? And what do you think is going to be the case next year? 
They were certainly asking about it more often beforehand. The focus has changed slightly at the moment because it's all about safety, but sustainability has definitely not gone away. Uh, I can cite a couple of cases recently where we've been involved in new bid activity for prospect clients and sustainability is still a very key topic and they want to ensure that their travellers are as sustainable as possible. They want us to help them ensure that that message gets across to all of the bookers and the travellers themselves. They have to do carbon emission reports on a regular basis and their sustainability and sustainability. I mean, there are DEFRA reports that exist now that will give you um, basic uh, information on CO2 emissions. But I only recently uh, discovered, for example, that rail um, in Germany is extremely sustainable because um, the power used for the rail companies is all renewable energy. What I didn't know is in China, it's all coal powered. So in actual fact, if you, if you travel by tra train in China, you're not being a particularly good world citizen. If you do it in Germany, well done. So uh, it's, it's that kind of level of detail that, that now companies are starting to look at, going way beyond just, well, rail has got to be better than air, it's got to be better than car, etc. It's, well, let's look at it in, in more detail. How can we offset and how can we show that we're a good company and a good citizen of the world and I think that uh, sadly these current crises that we've seen as we've now spent a lot more time watching TV and seeing what's un unfolding in California with the fires and Australia early uh, earlier the flooding and everything else has brought home the fact that um, as Daryl said you know clean uh, rivers and um, sea um, conditions uh, along certain coastlines has proven that we can do something about this and we should be doing something about it. So it's certainly focused the minds. Yeah. It's interesting, Tony. I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm reflecting on your point about trains in China. And at, at the Business Travel Show, we'd just done a sustainability survey then. And it was interesting that the carbon per mile on a flight at night is actually higher than the carbon per mile on a flight during the day. And I always thought it might be the other way around because there's fewer planes. But actually the planes that are flying at night are typically the the quad engines or the wide body aircraft because they're doing long haul flights the domestic and short haul flights are flying during the day and they, they, they're not flying so just by virtue of the, the fact the larger planes are the ones flying through the night the carbon offset the, the carbon is, is higher so yeah you're, you're right the granularity with which you need to look at things is, uh, is perhaps interesting so many interesting pieces of information coming out lots of the travel industry to consider as we move forward so thank you again Daryl and Tony for chatting with me today um, I'm looking forward to the third and final part of this series for SAP Concur Conversations podcast where we will be sharing our own experience of travel and how the airlines are ensuring traveller safety thank you very much guys thank you